Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord and Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for life. Malachi 3 and 1 about the coming messenger says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And so this corresponds, I think, to Isaiah 40 and 3, which says, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And so after this way gets prepared, then suddenly the Lord will come to his temple. Suddenly the Lord's going to be in his temple. And and you can read about how this was fulfilled in the gospel account of John the Baptist coming to prepare the way for Jesus. And then what does Jesus do when he gets here? He goes to the temple. And so you can see in Malachi 3, this was foretold and Jesus is going to come into the temple. And so now put yourself in the shoes of the corrupt priest. He's been dealing with corrupt priests that were misusing the temple and not doing things right. Put yourself in the shoes of those priests. All these terrible things they were doing in the temple, but now they hear from Malachi, look, the Lord is suddenly going to come to his temple. <laughs> You're acting up. You're misbehaving. And the Lord's coming. The Lord's coming. Shouldn't this put an element of fear on these corrupt priests that the Lord is suddenly coming? I I remember when I was in grade school, I don't remember what grade it was. It was, we were like no taller than this probably. And the teacher said, I'm going to be back in just a minute. I need to step out for just a minute. And the teacher went out the door. Well, what do we do? We start going crazy. We got loud and started misbehaving. And I remember one kid was kind of looking down the hallway and he saw the principal coming. The principal was walking down the hall and he came in. He goes, the principal's coming down the hall. And we all went, oh, and we all got straight. We got in our desk and got quiet. And the principal come in, looked in the door. So that's the way it ought to be, you know, <laughs> and it scared us. We were acting up until we heard the principal was coming. And so the Jews here, the, the priests, they were misbehaving really bad. And Malachi says, the Lord will suddenly come to his temple. The Jews had asked back in chapter 2, they said, where is the Lord of justice? Where's he at? And Malachi says, hey, buddy, he's coming. He's coming. Just you watch. He's coming. I think that should uh, put some fear in anybody to think that the Lord may would be coming. Now, Malachi 3 and 2. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasant to the Lord, as in the days of old, as in former years. Okay, 
Alakai, he's been dealing with wicked priests. These wicked priests caused other people to fall into sin. So who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? No one who is wicked. No one who is wicked will be able to stand when the Lord shows up. He is like a refiner's fire, he said. That's like, you know, the fire that heats up the silver and the gold, and it causes the impurities to rise to the top, and they they skim it off the top, and what's left is pure. It's left as pure silver or pure pure gold with the heat that, that, that bakes it out of there. The wrath of God will purify Israel. It will purify the priests who the priests who remain to the Lord, that who remain so that they may give offerings of righteousness. It's going to clean up the temple. It's going to get the purge the impurities out, and the offerings are going to be pure again. Then the offering will be pleasant, it says, to the Lord. As in former years, God is going to put the temple back the way it used to be. So good. Malachi 3 and 5. And I will come near you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against sorcerers, against adulterers, against perjurers, against those who exploit wage earners and widows and orphans, and against those who turn away an alien because they do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Real quick, y'all know what perjurers, adulterers, and all that. What's a sorcerer? What is a sorcerer? Uh, It could be kind of one of two things. A sorcerer was basically like a drug dealer. It was people that distributed hallucinogens to make people trip out and make them think they had these powers. It could also be people that Satan gave power to and actually did things. And either way, that's a bad deal because they were making people think that God was doing this stuff. That's why he had it against uh, sorcerers. None of this Harry Potter business going on here. That's what, There were sorcerers that actually did this stuff, this judgment that's coming. It's not going to be against the priests. Remember in the last chapter, he said, oh, priest, oh, you priest. Now he's talking about all these people that are messing up, didn't he? It's going to be on the entire nation. All of these kinds of people God is going to come against because every one of these crimes were prohibited in the Mosaic law. And besides, it was sin. And so. When the Lord removes these sinners from Israel, then that will be his answer. When the nation asked him, they had asked him, where is the God of justice? Where are you? He's like, I'm coming. And this is what I'm going to do when I get there. We're going to do this judgment. He's coming to show them justice. If that's their question, where's the God of justice? He's coming to administer it. You know, we got people today asking that. Where's the God of justice? I do what I want to. I don't care. What's he going to do? You will find out. And I tell my friends, it's best to get on the Lord's side, make him your Lord, than wait to find out what he's going to do after he gets here. Remember, when the principal was coming down the hallway, we got an order first. We didn't wait for the principal to get in the room. Then we'd be getting pops. (laughs) So Malachi 3 and 6, for I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Wow. All of this talk about judgment. And removing the wicked, that's scary enough to get people to wonder, will God's judgment be so severe that it will end up being the end of Israel? You ever think about that? Is God's judgment so severe that it will end Israel for all the sin they're doing? Will it end it? No, it won't. Absolutely not. The Lord has given so many prophecies and so many covenants and so many promises to Israel That if Israel were to cease to exist because of God's wrath, then God would have ruined the integrity of his own word. He has to keep Israel there because he made promises to them. Israel has to exist 
for God to fulfill all the promises he made for that nation. Once God makes a promise, he never goes back on it, ever. He never goes back on his promise. I'm so excited about that. That's why he said, I am the Lord, I do not change. I made you a promise, Israel, I'm not going to take it back. I'm going to facilitate a way for you to continue to exist, but in righteousness, but it will be your continuation. I don't change. I made covenants and promises with you. You will stay here. I am the Lord. I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. You realize the reason Israel is not just wiped off the map is because God made promises and he doesn't change. I have to consider the fact, too. As the sinner that I am, the reason God has not completely taken me out is because he's offered me promises through Jesus Christ, and he has to keep those promises. Therefore, I am not consumed because God does not change. And I'm not going to abuse that as a hyper grace kind of thing. I'm going to be reverent to the Lord and say, thank you. Thank you that you do not change God. God cannot consume Israel, all of Israel, with judgment, or else he would be seen by the world as someone who can't keep a promise. Doesn't that just bother you, somebody that can't keep a promise? They never keep their word. They say they're going to do something, and they don't do it. That, that, that's irritating. And God is not going to be seen like that. Therefore, whatever promises he makes, he will keep. He, he's, not going to be look, he's not going to look like someone who deceives and lies, because God is truth. Ezekiel 4 and 31 says, For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not forsake you nor destroy you, nor forget the covenant of your fathers which he swore to them. There it is right there. (laughs) Look at that. God never changes. And so Malachi's message has to agree with what Ezekiel had just said here, in that God is not going to destroy Israel because he made a promise not to. And so he cannot and will not change his stance on that. Again, aren't you glad that God keeps his promises? This is not something for us to abuse or take advantage of. This is something to be thankful for and to bow the knee and get into submission to and honor him with it, that he is like this. I'm so glad. God's word is the basis. His word, I said I'll do it and I'll do it. God's word is the basis for Israel's hope. And because we Gentiles are grafted in, God's word is the basis for our hope too. Jesus Christ is the word, the blessed hope. He is our hope. So good, our Savior. Malachi 3 and 7. Yet from the days of your fathers, you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, in what way shall we return? Okay, they don't know how to come back. I've considered this about telling people to repent, 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 repent. And they'll be like, okay, good. How? What, how do I do it? I, I don't know. What, what, is, what does that mean? How do I? That's what they're asking. But we had already seen about God's unchanging faithfulness. But now here comes some comments about Israel's disobedience to God. And Israel departed from God's ordinances, which are decrees. And they want to know how to come back. Now, you remember in the book of Ruth, when the king made a decree, it went out and it was put into effect and the people followed it. The king says, here's a decree. And the people go, okay. And they did it. But Israel is just not taking God serious enough as a king to actually follow what he said to do. The decrees of God had just been like, eh, who cares? So what? Uh, I'd say that's America right now on the majority scale. Eh, God said it. So what? I don't care. My life, my way. 
Israel had not kept what God had said. They had not kept his decrees. They're kind of regarding like God has no power at all, like he has no power to do anything about it. And so from chapters 1 and 2 that we read, now that Israel knows what God is going to do against the lawless, this is lawlessness, here's my laws, follow it. No, we're not going to. You're now lawless. Okay. Israel knows what he's going to do against the lawless because he told them in chapters 1 and 2, they're going to want to know how to get right with God. How do we do it? Return to me, he says. But Israel asked, in what way shall we return? They don't know how to do it. As a pastor, as a Christian, whatever, I try to keep myself sensitive to the fact that if I give the call for people to repent, many people need to know how. How to repent. What does that, what does that mean? What does it look like? What does it entail? What do I have to do to get right again? In what way shall we return? The question is being asked, how do we get there? I think that's a good question. They had been lost in sin for so long, they don't know how to come back. But hey, at least they're asking. I've talked to people about repentance and getting right with God, and they don't care. So what? But at least they're asking, how do we do it? I think that's a start. (laughs) How do we get back? God can work with that. You may not know how to return to God, but at least be willing to return to God. It's the unwilling repentance that people that God has a problem with. The ones that are willing, we can work with that. And so Israel asks, how do we return? And at this point, I can imagine quite a few uh, Israelites might have been surprised to hear that the Lord was even offering to get close to them again. You ever consider that? That the God of all creation, of all righteousness, even wants to get close to you? Close to me? I imagine that was a shock to their system to hear that he even offered that. And so after, you know, after realizing all the wickedness that they had done, that he had told them about in chapters one and two, and you still want to get close to me, I know what I've done, guys. I know what I've done in my life. You don't. (laughs) Okay. I do. And that's become part of my testimony. But I'm still amazed that God wants to get close to a guy like me with the things I've done. Now, also many Israelites they're realizing what they've done. Many of them also had lost their trust in God because they had been taken away into Babylonian captivity. When you're taken away as slave for a while, that'll cause some distrust. When you've been hurt multiple times by people, you'll get trust issues, won't you? It, I have a, Oh, I've got a trust problem because this guy did this to me and this person did that to me and that church did this to me. and all. you got trust issues. And they're like, well, how do we come back? But how do we know we can believe this? How do we know we can trust this? Remember, they had asked, where is God? In captivity, they started asking, where is God? Where is he? Where is his justice? So how is Israel able to return? What guarantee do they have that they can trust the God of Israel, that he would actually receive them if they were to come back to him? With God, it's always based on covenant. It's always based on covenant. If God ever was to, dis, to to not live up to a covenant or not deliver on a covenant or a promise he gave you, then you've got reason not to trust him. But he always does his promises, doesn't he? You have no reason not to trust God. He always does what he says he's going to do. In Deuteronomy 4 and 30, says, When you return to the Lord your God and obey his voice, for the Lord your God is a merciful God, he will not forsake you nor destroy you nor forget the covenant of your fathers, which he swore to them. So there you go. 
That's something they can trust in right there. And that's in Deuteronomy. It's already been in their history for a while. They've already, they know their history in Israel multiple times where God lived up to that promise. And so they're thinking, okay, he's telling us to get close to him again. Hey, I think we can trust this. Why don't we do it? That's a covenant promise that God had established with the earliest Jews. They knew about this. They know that they know they can turn back to him based on this promise because of what he's already done in the past. He has not destroyed them for the sin that they've done. And because of us Gentiles being under the same mercy and grace of that same God, the same God that wrote that for Israel, (laughs) I'm grafted in and I'm in under the same God. I think it's highly motivating for anyone to hear promises like this, to know that even though we have seriously really messed up, that God would not even forsake a Gentile like me. That's such hope in in, in promises like this, of a God like this. And so the comfort of the Jews' return is assured. They should have comfort in this. But the question again still, we know you'll take us back, but how? How do we do it? The Lord answers that question next. We know we can come back, but how do we do it? Malachi 3 and 8 says, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, In what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. That's how you, that's how you come back. You've robbed me. Stop robbing me. Stop robbing me, and that's step one for coming back. Bluntly stated, Israel was being a thief on a national level for holding back tithes and offerings to God. I, I can say, you ever had somebody steal from you, and you think, man, that's low. <laughs> that's pretty low. I mean, but what level of ignorance does it take for somebody to try to rob God? <laughs> you know, that's, that is pretty bad. Most people today consider that giving tithes and offerings or offerings, giving to God, they think it's giving to God what belongs to you. They think this is, I'm giving to God what belongs to me. No, that's not the way it is. Offerings and giving to God is about giving from what God has given you that already belongs to him so that you can be a blessing to others. The money is his. But will you demonstrate a being a sacrifice by giving? That's what this is. If you don't properly give, here's something that's always concerned me. I've had to come to realize that if I don't properly give, God could take it all away. It's his. It ain't mine. If I don't give the way I'm supposed to, he could just say, you're not a giver. I'm taking it all. That kind of puts some fear in me. It's all his. Withholding from giving. Withholding it from God is robbing God. That's what he said, right? I don't agree with that. You take it up with the verse. I didn't write it. (laughs) Now, remember the previous chapter, they all, even the priest, had been profaning the offerings of God. They were stealing animals from one another for sacrifices. They were bringing sick animals and blind animals and not the way it was supposed to be done. They were wanting to keep the best for themselves. They were also dealing treacherously with their wives which disrespects the marital covenant. And then they were crying tears all over the altar of God, wondering where their favor went. You're not giving right. You're robbing from God. And then you're crying that he's not giving you anything. That, uh, no, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> the people weren't tithing. And that tithing, let's understand what the tithing does. 
the tithing supported the priests who were doing the work of ministry. They were in the temple. They didn't go out and work fields. They worked in the temple. That was their job. And the tithes were supposed to support them. And when the, when the tithes were cut off, then the priests had to find another way of supporting themselves. Now, those doing the work of ministry should be supported. And that is not an easy thing for me to say standing up here, being the guy that's doing it. The, the ministry guys should be supported because not supporting them is robbing God it, because it hinders ministry work. Galatians 6 and 6, it says, Let him who has taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. And so a lot of people know that. God is not mocked what you reap, what you sow. But what they don't realize is the, proceed, the preceding line before that verse that everybody knows says, let him who has taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. And that's why they were supposed to put the tithes back for the priests, because it was mocking God to not do that. And so we must see that this is about this tithing, giving what the Lord has blessed you with into the work of ministry. And so now that we understand this, how this tithing works for the priests to, to continue the ministry work, now that we understand this scenario, Watch the next passage, okay? Check this out. Malachi 3 and 10. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. (laughs) I just love it. That's so good. Now, I've heard this passage misused before, many times by people who try to make this apply to their bank account. Oh, God's going to make me so rich, and he's just going to give so much that there's not enough room to receive. No, that's not what this is talking about. (laughs) This isn't about for you. This passage was directed at Israel. Let's stay in context here. Oh, let's steal it from the Jews and make it all about us. No, it was for the Jews. Don't hijack passages that belong to them to try to make it out for us. He said, bring the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in your house. In my house, he said. The Lord said, "Get this must be food in my house, says the Lord of hosts. This is not about fattening your wallet. This is about Israel tithing into the temple of God. Now, the storehouse. What is the storehouse? It was a special room or rooms that were in the temple. That's where the storehouse was. And that's where they kept the treasuries and where the offerings were kept. So why does there need to be food in the temple storehouse? Again, it was for the priests so that they'd have enough food for for the work that they could do the ministry work. It was for them. And if you look up Nehemiah 13, you can jot this down in your notes. Look up Nehemiah 13 when you have time. You'll see a story about a wicked man named Tobiah who took the food and the offerings out of the storehouse because his intention was to starve the priests to having to go out and find other jobs. He basically killed the ministry work in the temple, and the priests left to go find another way to live. And old Nehemiah found out about it. He came and he threw Tobiah out. He threw all his junk out. He actually moved into the storehouse like it was his own little apartment suite. And he threw all his stuff out, and he put the temple back in order so that the priests could get back to work again, to get the ministry going before God again. Thank 
you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.